This is the show with Cannon Brown. Put your whole heart into everything you do and you'll be successful at it. Whether it's livestock judging, whether it's showing, whether it's work, whether it's, uh, you know, bettering yourself as an individual, put everything you got into it and you'll certainly be successful at it. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What is going on, people? My name is Cannon Brown and you're tuned into the show. Back another week for another podcast, another interview. I've got a great guest for you guys this week, as always, Mr. Ben Weiss. If you don't know him, you're about to know a lot about him. He's a, he's a guy my age, graduated from Texas Tech. We met in the beautiful city of Lubbock. You guys know how I feel about that place. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. He graduated from Lubbock, Texas uh, University, Texas Tech, <laughs> and uh, now he's got a really, really cool job with Lens Heritage Angus, and I can't wait for you guys to hear about his experience within his job right now. It's a pretty crazy uh, occupation, and I'm sure a lot of you are going to be jealous. I've got a couple quick shout-outs here. One second. I've got two sales that I need to shout-out, guys. I've got two incredible friends that I want to just shout-out here, and I hope you guys check out their sales. The first one is going to be my really good friend, Tyler Pickenpaw. Uh, with Pick and Paw Livestock. I've had him on here. He sells really, really good sheep. Go to SC Online Sales March 15th. That's Sunday, all right? Check out his sale. He's got an un- unbelievable set. He tells me on the phone that uh, this is the best that he's ever raised. Everybody says that, guys, okay? But I guess if you're, if you're like, raising livestock, it should be like that. I mean, you should raise the best stuff every year. I mean, that makes sense, so... I guess I can't even make fun of people saying that now because that's the way it should be going. All right, Tyler, yeah, go check it out. These are not paid ads, by the way, I'm just saying. The second one, we've got my buddy Derek Adams. Although he hasn't been on the podcast yet, he's soon to come on with uh, Adams Family Livestock. They've got a sale on April 7th, um, probably selling some hogs, probably selling some sheep. Whole bunch of stuff, whole slew of stuff. I'll tell you more about that once we come closer to the sale time. But I just had to shout out those two two people, Adams Family Livestock on April 7th and Pick and Paw Livestock on March 15th. Check those out. And I know I talk a lot. Follow me on all my social medias, at the show pod, at the show underscore pod on Twitter. I talk too much. Let's do it, Mr. Ben Weiss. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Hey, Kanan, what's up? What is going on, man? I uh, just got done uh, shearing a bull to uh, go out to Origin here in the next couple of weeks, and so just got finished up with that. Oh, busy morning then. Something like that. Something like that. You like to stay. stay you like to stay busy though. Right. Always got to stay busy on the farm, dude. I mean, you can't <laughs> just you know slack off too hard. You can't do it. I mean, you'll get in too much trouble if you slack off. You got to prove your worth at all times. Exactly. You know, you just got to always show that you're you're trying to grind and hustle. You know. Exactly. Um, ben, I'm happy to have you on, dude. I, I know I've wanted you on since I had Kyle on. Um, and I, I'm i going to be honest, and don't take this the wrong way, but I just forgot. I was like, and then the other day, I was like, who should I have on? Um, ben Weiss. I got yeah, to have him on. I'm glad you could have me on. I, th- I think it's going to be fun, dude. I think it's going to be a good time, dude. And it's been a long time since we've talked. Oh, like, yeah. actually, like, kind of talked and hung out. So I think... Uh, it's going to be a good platform to, for us to jump off on because we have a yeah. lot of catching up to do. 
for sure. I don't think it's quite the setting that we used to catch up and hang out on, but, you know, I, I think we'll make it work. No, it's – I mean, I don't know if it's better than Cujo's in Lubbock, Texas, but it'll be similar. Right, yeah, for sure. It is whatever you make of it. You, know? you, got, a, you got a Coors Light in your hand right now? I wish I did, dude. I Like I said, I just got done, so I think, <laughs> like, man, I, I, I don't know if I could – if it's proper podcast etiquette to, like, just go crack a cold one quick and, like – you know, kind of dive into it. So I was like, ah, oh, I'll just have to wait till after. I, I say we do a next one. Next right, next episode when you come on as a reoccurring guest. Right. Yeah. Like guest speaking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe next one will be in person. We'll do a live yeah. episode. That way we can we actually go. have some course lights. Oh, that'd be cool. We'll just go back to Cujo's. We'll just sit up there in the corner <laughs> and we'll have one of them nice waitresses just film us. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Cujo should pay me ad revenue for the amount of times I've talked about it. It's only been twice just with you and Kyle, but still, that's a lot of time that Cujo's has been talked about on a podcast. Probably the first time. Right, for sure. I, I can't imagine they're just getting, you know, lots of shout outs all the time. But. Yeah, I would imagine not. All right. Um, dude, last time we hung out, we were both in Lubbock, Texas, yeah. um, going to Texas Tech University. And, uh, dude, I want to say that you and Kyle were like the first people to actually come toward, come and reach out and, and get to know me. And I, I want to say, I appreciate that because me going there, I didn't know anybody. A lot of you guys had your teammates there, your fellow teammates from junior college. I didn't know a single person. And, uh, I just wanted to start this out by saying thank you for uh, reaching out to me. I felt very involved when you guys, uh, reached out and we hung out. So I appreciate it. You bet, man. I mean, I think it worked out good because I, I think that, you know, you were kind of the kid that me and Kyle clicked with probably the most in terms of, you know, just wanting to always go hang out and stuff like that. And, you know, because we had grown up all kind of in, you know, or come through like the, the smaller JUCOs, I guess, per, so to say. So, you know, teammates was just who you hung out with all the time. So uh, to us, you know, it was no brainers that want to hang out with everybody that was with us and stuff like that. And, uh, it always seemed to work out. Heck, we always had a good time, you know, whenever yeah. we'd go out. So it was always just one of those things that kind of happened organically, I guess. Now, you couldn't keep me in Lubbock, but um, <laughs> it, it was a good time. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> I still sure. remember, whenever I think about the 2016 election, I just remember all of us at Cujo's, at a sports bar, uh, <laughs> just watching the electoral votes come in. <laughs> I'm, I, I'll be honest, that was about the first time I think I've sat at a bar throughout the entire, like, election and it was one of those deals that for some reason like it was the funnest thing in the world because we'd just sit there and all of a sudden you'd hear somebody yell out like trump train and the bar would just go crazy you know (laughs) like it it was a good spot to be when you were hoping that trump would win a good spot to be is in lubbock texas that's a great spot to be is in west texas yeah west texas was all about it now uh but you came from a kind of a different place than west texas you come from uh, a town in iowa mayor mayor iowa meyer yep meyer sorry i i should have guessed meyer come on cannon (laughs) (laughs) now tell me about uh meyer iowa uh so yeah i mean grew up in very very far north iowa uh actually so meyer's about two miles from the minnesota border and uh i mean tiny town there's i think like 20 people that live there still, uh, two of which were my grandpa and grandma. So that's, you know, pretty, you know, knocking it down. Uh, so related to a good portion of it, but, uh, 
yeah, I mean, just a tiny little town in kind of, you know, rural Iowa. So, you know, just your typical, all the stereotypes fall in, you know, everybody farm, everybody knew everybody, you know, same type of thing, you know, too much bush light was drank, you know, <laughs> it's all the same Iowa stereotypes, you know. Now, how many generations have you, has your family been there or had uh, your family been there? Yep. So uh, we actually about four years ago hit the century mark uh, on our actual homestead. So uh, the family's been there for now over a hundred years. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Yep. So we were we were pretty uh, fortunate to, I guess, kind of settle in an area that we stuck to. Now, what did you guys you guys just farmed and raised cattle? Yep. So um, my parents uh, predominantly uh, do a, have a row crop operation, uh, raising mainly just uh, corn, actually. And then uh, alongside of that, we started up a cow-calf uh, operation. Uh, we you run right around 75 to 80 head of uh, pairs um, with that. And then uh, actually, it's always funny when I talk about it because no one ever believes me. Uh, for a long time, my dad raised veal cattle. Uh, so he was kind of the one that PETA essentially just hated the most. Oh, gosh. And, uh, <laughs> so... We, we still have the, the veal barns and everything like that, and we still raise cattle and stuff like that through them. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, growing up, we'd always be out in the barns, uh, whether it be vaccinating or feeding or, uh, you know, uh, rolling these cattle groups over, you know, about every uh, eight weeks, we'd get a new group of, you know, Holstein steers in, and uh, we'd do the full processing on them, break them to drink out of a bucket, and then we'd wean them off. Uh, kick them out, you know, raise fat cattle out of them essentially is what we'd end up doing with them. And uh, so, I mean, it was kind of one of those deals of uh, basically when I was young, you know, chores would be out in the Holstein barns and then you'd go out and, you know, you'd feed your show cattle and stuff like that. And uh, whatever else was on the kind of agenda, you know, mom and dad always kept us pretty busy. Those Holstein uh, little guys are pretty fun to play with, <laughs> especially, <laughs> when, especially when they're real young. I grew up on a family owned dairy and same deal. I mean, we had those barns in the back, the little crates, little oh, yeah. sheds, um, yep. and they drink out of the bucket, but they, they'll run and jump around and you almost don't want to think about them being veal, but you're like, gosh, dang, they taste so good. <laughs> exactly. Those little Holstein exactly. bastards taste so good. <laughs> uh, they're awesome. you know. But yeah, so it was, I guess, kind of a different kind of elaboration, you know, just a small family farm type deal. But uh, one of those deals, it always seems like it's fun to go back. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good environment to to be raised in, and especially if you've been there for, I mean, you just said you guys have been there for over a hundred years. You've been there for eighty years by the time you were born. Fast right. math, real quick. Right. Um, so I mean, it's pretty. It's already established by the time right. you're born. You're kind of coming into it with chores already established. You know what you're doing. I mean, it's a good it's a good uh, place to learn and just kind of adapt to. Right. For sure. For sure. Now I want to ask you. This is kind of skewed, um, but I had um, somebody on here. Oh, Sam Burmeister, or no, it was Kyle actually. It was yep. Kyle. He was talking about the moon cycles with clipping, and I know you're you're kind of into clipping and fitting like that. Have you ever heard about the moon cycles? Yeah. So I mean, it all just essentially goes back to like the farmer's almanac, and like you know, they kind of set out days that's good for hair growth and days where. You know, if you shear or anything like that, it discourages hair growth. And uh, a lot of it's kind of been extrapolated out, you know, to clipping for shows and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's like I, I don't even know what for sure all goes into it in terms of what they decide is like an ultimate good day for uh, hair growth. 
but they said it in terms of like the moon signs. Uh, a lot of people use full moon as kind of like their ideal day of uh, shearing. Do you follow it or no? Uh, I used to when I was in high school. I used to follow it. Uh, now that I, you know, kind of switched gears and don't really worry about the show cattle deal anymore. I really don't have to worry about it so much. But, uh, I mean, we followed it a little bit. So you're completely out of the show deal. Uh, I wouldn't say completely, but for okay. the most part, yeah. I mean, I still like to go to the shows every once in a while because obviously that was a big part of my life uh, growing up. And uh, especially through college, you know, I, I always seem to be at a, a cow show somewhere in the country. And uh, so I still like to go back every once in a while. I kind of call it my vacation, even though I go there and I still fit cattle and work and stuff like that. So that's kind of my vacation, my getaway from the ranch. Now, uh, I mean, you've got a lot of years invested into showing livestock. When did you start showing cattle from just from the time that you first could yeah. nine years so older? Basically, as soon as I joined in 4-H, we were kind of the family that was a little different, I guess. Uh, our My parents never really showed livestock growing up. Uh, we got started um, actually from our neighbor, uh, got my sister started showing uh, just kind of some county fair steers. Uh, the first year that we showed, we were actually, you know, so, I guess, Freddie 4-H'er that uh, we were brushing hair backwards on the cattle and stuff like that, you know kind of down and back towards their hip and uh we we really had no idea what was going on and uh so we kind of you know had to start truly from the bottom and learn everything you know from halter breaking uh washing simple things like that you know that a lot of people kind of take for granted that their parents know and uh you know a lot of people have barns and stuff like that already built you know we were doing it out of a corn crib and uh you know trying to learn and stuff like that so we kind of uh started showing and we really didn't, I didn't get into it fully until I was a freshman in high school, uh, was the year that I started showing breeding heifers. And, uh, that'd have been in 2010, I believe. Uh, I was lucky enough to show the champion heifer at the Iowa state fair. And since then I, it was just like, after that I was addicted. Like I just wanted to always show cattle. Uh, so kind of, you know, we grow, grew up in it. We always kind of wanted to be a part of it, but never really were, I guess, very good at it. We'd show at County Fair and maybe a couple jackpots. Uh, anytime we'd go to the big ones, we'd always, you know, be, uh, you know, last in class or kind of towards the bottom. And it really, I guess, kind of more or less taught uh, how to be humble, you know, in terms of uh, when you win and when you lose. And, I mean, you're just able to kind of learn a little bit through it. So I, I was actually really thankful that, you know, we kind of started at the bottom and, uh, we're able to work our way up, you know, instead of necessarily just kind of buying your way into the top. Now, when you were going, uh, when you were looking for people, for resources to learn from, who were you going to? I mean, you said you were at the bottom. You had to learn something from somebody. Who were you going to? Who were you reaching out to in the industry? Yeah, so the, the main uh, gentleman that we learned a lot from was Terry Cruzy. Uh, he lived in Osage, Iowa, uh, which from us is about uh, 30 miles, uh, from where we grew up and stuff like that. But he was kind of really the one that, uh, started teaching my brother and myself kind of a lot of what we needed to do. Uh, and from there we, you know, started learning how to fit. Uh, we try working as many places as we absolutely could. Uh, my brother would go out and do a lot of fitting for different people. And, uh, he worked for CYT a lot in high school and learned from, 
uh, guys like Jess Reckner and uh, Jared Bedwell. Uh, he learned a lot through those guys. Uh, and then every time he'd come home from a trip, uh, it'd essentially be me and him out in the clipping room, you know, just kind of learning from each other. Uh, you know, he'd kind of teach me what he learned and we'd practice and practice and uh, just kind of keep slowly building our knowledge, I guess, in terms of what we knew about uh, showing cattle. What's the age difference between you guys? Uh, so my brother's four years older uh, than me, and then I have an older sister. Uh, she'd be six years older than me. Okay. So it was predominantly like you and your brother together kind of showing? Yep. yep. So like I said, you know, my sister, she was kind of, uh, the, I guess, the test trial or more or less the guinea pig of showing. Uh, she kind of got into it, you know. And then just when we had really started getting into it and getting a lot better at showing and uh, going to a lot more of these, she had already aged out and uh, was on to college and everything like that. So it was kind of at that point where she was almost just too old uh, in order to keep showing. Uh, she really didn't have just the overall desire, I guess, or the, the need to uh, continue on with it. Yeah. Now that four years of difference between you and your brother, that's a that's a good age difference because you can learn a lot, but that's a, I mean, I, I've got to say that's, that's got to be an age difference to where you can really, really get competitive with each other. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, that was one thing that we were really bad at was we always were, uh, very competitive in everything that we did. Uh, but it was probably a good thing at the same time, you know, always kind of working on our competitive drive and, uh, kind of trying to push us to be, you know, better than each other. So you got to have somebody there to push you. And Absolutely. I mean, whether it be your parents or a mentor or your four-year-old brother, that's he's, if you don't do it, he's going to do it and he's going to kick your butt. Right. Right. But I mean, it's a good, like I said, it's a good age difference because you guys are so close in age to where you can make sense to each other. You can explain things to each other without it being, uh, without being looked down upon. And I'm sure there was some of that. Uh, but the overall, I mean, it's a close enough age to where you can understand each other pretty well. Right. And I mean, it was one of those things that like, it was close enough, but it was far enough. Like, you know, he was older than me, so I respected him enough. Um, but at the same time, yeah, we still had that kind of competitive edge to us of, you know, we always kind of knew what, you know, each of us wanted to do. And it always seemed like I was the better showman. So I sticked all the cattle. Willie was the better clipper and fitter. So he was the one that, you know, kind of focused more on the clipping. And uh, so when it all came down to it, you know, we kind of had a pretty good system. Yeah. Now, uh, when you won the Iowa State Fair, were you guys raising cattle at that time, or, or were you just predominantly buying stuff? Yep, so we, we were raising cattle. Uh, most of all the stuff we were raising, we were raising a lot of county fair steers and just kind of really starting to get into it um, from that aspect. Uh, but we were still buying a good majority of our show cattle. Uh, we didn't spend a lot of money on our show strings, so we always went out to uh, Wagonhammer Ranches out in Nebraska and uh, we'd bounce around for two days in the back of a beat-up old pickup, you know, and uh, look for uh, cattle just out in the sand hills. And uh, it was always one of those things that was exciting because I, I was always pumped. We got to miss school and go out and just look at cows for two, three days straight, you know. And uh, so we'd be out there, and we'd just kind of pick out different cattle. And uh, it was kind of a funny deal just because uh, – now I look back and think about what we paid for a lot of those. You know, I won the state fair with a heifer that cost $1,600 and nobody else bid on her. You know, we got her for the opening bid um, and we really just bought her for a replacement kind of into the, our cow herd. And she ended up being a pretty good show heifer. So that was kind of cool. 
uh, that, you know, we had just kind of found this diamond in the rough, so to speak. Now, what, like, what breeds were you raising? Uh, so we kind of, we had a hodgepodge of everything. Yeah. Uh, we had Angus, Simital, Mains, Keys, uh, a couple of Herefords here and there. I mean, oh we gosh, you had everything. Had, we pretty much had everything. We still tried raising some show steers and, uh, it was one of those things that we, we had about everything. And, uh, my brother's done very good here raising a lot of Simitals lately. Uh, back when I was in high school, we were raising a lot of more, um, main and Jude, uh, key cattle, um, kind of, you know, just going that way with it. Uh, you know, I, I always loved the Charlay cattle and that was kind of one thing that I always wanted to show a lot more of with Char's. Uh, unfortunately it kind of just would all depend on, uh, I'd basically show what, whatever was left over that we couldn't get sold. And that was, you know, kind of my show string for that year. Uh, I was just about to ask you what your favorite breed was having so many breeds on, on your farm, but, uh, Char's are a good one. I, they're just so pretty, especially when they're done right. There's right. something about like just uh, a white heifer in a pen, like green, really green grass around it. They just picture so well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now you kind of got left over with the, um, the lot that didn't sell. Did, did you ever like think about that? Like you're like, damn, I want the nice ones. We're going to be shown against these. Let, let us show the nice ones. Or did you always think, no, it's all right. I'll just show the ones that don't sell. It, it just, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of more or less just was kind of on the fence of like, it'd always be nice to show some of those ones, but at the same time I knew it was kind of one of those things of like, if we don't sell the best ones, no one's ever going to really want to come buy the best ones Yeah. Uh, once once I get done. And I kind of knew my time, you know, showing was limited. Uh, so, I, you know, showing doesn't last forever. So it's one of those things that you got to kind of be prepared on. Uh to kind of cut that tie at a certain point in time. And luckily I kind of had that lesson already learned and was kind of past it. And my, my goal, I guess was always just to kind of take the ones that people passed off on. If I knew that they were going to be good, or if I really thought that they were going to be something special and just focus on feeding them, you know, daily management and try getting them to the end point where I'd be happy with how they turned out. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. And I think that's one of the lessons that every breeder learns when they first start raising them, they're like, okay, I can't keep the good ones for myself or I can't keep the good, the really good ones for my kids. Because if we're just winning, like, why are people going to want to Right, buy? no one's going to want to come by. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's common sense, but some people just don't get the point <laughs> right off the bat. Some people <laughs> right, have to learn sure. the hard way. For sure. Now, uh, so you won Iowa State Fair as a freshman. Were you were you traveling around the country to shows then, or did that kind of spark it for you guys to actually start traveling to shows? That really sparked it. Uh, we went to a couple shows, I mean, national shows. Uh, we'd go to Exarbin and stuff like that, uh, but we really didn't do a lot of traveling to, like, junior nationals until after that. Um, so really, I mean, there was only about three, four years where I did a lot of traveling uh, for show and cattle and stuff like that that we actually exhibited at. Now we'd go to some of them shows and we'd work and, uh, you know, try picking up different stuff, you know, at Denver and uh, Kansas City. But I didn't actually get an exhibit at those until I was essentially a senior in high school. Uh, it was my first time showing in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of even on the tail end. And that, we always joked between me and my brother that we needed another kid that because we had just really started, you know, kind of grasping this whole show cattle thing uh, that we needed, you know, just another sibling to kind of drag all these shows and 
uh, one where we could go to some of those bigger ones. Uh, just finally our parents have started letting us go to them. And, uh, we started doing a lot more traveling, uh, when I got my license and my brother had his license, we were able to, uh, basically just hook up the truck and trailer. And, uh, my dad would say, you know, when you coming back, we'd tell him, you know, where we were going and, uh, we'd load up the calves and take off for the weekend, you know, going showing. Yeah. That's one thing I'm really jealous of. I wish I had like an older or, or younger sibling right close to me that we could have traveled the shows together. Because uh, all my siblings are way younger. They're like nine years and younger than me. But, right. I mean, it always looked like a good time when siblings would just show up together. They do their stuff and then they get out. Don't have to right. deal with parents. Don't have to deal with um, parents again. Because that, I mean, those, <laughs> that's usually the factor that stresses everybody out. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it was one of those things that like uh, my parents had come to kind of the bigger shows. But mainly they were back usually choring or taking care of other calves that were still in the cooler and stuff like that. So, I mean, they really were the ones that, you know, kept everything going the right direction and uh, making sure that we were able to go. And I probably, you know, haven't thanked them enough for still what they did. And, you know, it's one of those things that you always hear judges say at the shows, but it's when you look back, you know, in retrospect that you realize, you know, how much they actually, you know, sacrificed and everything like that for us to be able to go to those shows and uh, to kind of go have that experience and, uh, you know, every time they'd come to a show, I was, you know, usually so eaten up with, you know, trying to get through the show and everything else that, uh, we probably didn't spend as much time together as they would have liked at some of those events. But, you know, it still was always great to be able to, you know, look up and see them in the stands or as soon as, you know, you came out of the ring, they were there to greet you and, you know, tell you a good job or anything like that. So, you know, it was still one of those things that was always nice having them around from. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I might've just harped on parents a little bit too much. <laughs> They're awesome. I mean, parents are great, or whatever guardian you have. I mean, they're, right. they're great right. to have, but there is some stress that's involved with having those people there. They just want you to do your best, and they want you to know it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and like you said, I, I think that kind of stress level probably came more or less from my brother, probably, uh, you know, still just always trying to push and, you know, trying to get make sure that everything, you know, was in on target for us at the show. and. Uh, so, you know, that's, there, there's still a parental figure, I guess, kind of always there that seemed to be always harping on me, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that you still got to appreciate just the, them, you know, trying to focus on, you know, your whole aspect, aspirations and stuff, you know, making sure everything's on target. Yeah. Now I know, I know you, uh, you have your own job now, but do you still raise cattle with your family, with your brother? Yeah. Okay, so let's take this time and let's give you a little shout out here. Um, tell us, it's Weiss Cattle Company, right? Uh, yep, so Weiss Cattle Company. Uh, my brother kind of predominantly runs it right now, sells a bunch of uh, heifers and steers now, uh, kind of nationwide, starting to do a really good job from that aspect. It, uh, it's been kind of tearing up the scimitals here lately in terms of uh, breeding some pretty good ones of those, so. Well, yeah, I mean, I want I wanted to say before we got on to anything else, you guys had a lot of a lot of success towards your uh, later years of showing. Like you said, you you were like lighting the fire right when you were getting out of it, and right. you guys are kicking butt now. Now that you don't, now that neither of you are showing, right? So uh, we might as well give you a shout out now, <laughs> right? For sure. Yep. So I mean, we we're pretty fortunate to you know those ones that I was showing have made awesome, awesome donor cows, and we've been able to kind of to build the herd around a lot of the stuff that I showed in those years. And, uh, you know, we retained back some daughters out of all of them, did some flushing, 
uh, we were able to sell off, you know, some of the better ones to keep kind of that cow family going and uh, keep kind of people, you know, interested in what we had raised. So uh, we've been very fortunate so far in terms of what we got uh, on the ground of what we've sold. Uh, you know, we have some interest in some cattle that show and uh, it's always fun being able to go and uh, go to a show where you raise the calf and you know, that calf ends up doing good. It, it's almost just like, you know, I was out there showing them myself, uh, kind of got that breeder nostalgia, I guess. Oh, yeah. Every breeder has that, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you wish you were out there <laughs> holding that one. It It's almost like all the, the jokes about, like, the guys on, you know, Friday nights and stuff that always wish they were out on the football field yeah. again, you know, like, now that they aged out. I think it's kind of the same deal. It is. It, it's exactly that same deal. I mean, it's a hobby that you just can't quit sometimes. Right, exactly. Now, when did you start uh, judging livestock? Uh, so I actually started judging livestock kind of the same time uh, when I got into high school, uh, and that was mainly uh, through FFA. Uh, our uh, FFA advisor had uh, you know my entire family basically go through there, a uh, bunch of cousins, and um, my brother and sister both went through. My brother had started livestock judging and was pretty good at it. And they had a successful team and actually won state uh, FFA judging one year. And uh, so they kind of, you know, really wanted us to push into it. And uh, so I kind of got started that way and went to a couple camps and tried learning. It wasn't one of the things I guess I was necessarily super great at uh, because at that point in time, we really only had cattle and we showed pigs uh, just a little bit at the county fair. And, what? You know, I was absolutely horrible at uh, sheep. So uh, the next logical step was we started buying sheep so we could get better at livestock judging. And then, uh, you know, so I, I was kind of a firm believer that if I could feed one, I could learn more about it. And just by being hands on, you know, by being able to go out and handle different weathers or use or, you know, kind of, while we were out driving hogs at night, you know, we'd kind of study them and be able to figure out, you know, just kind of a little bit how we do better next year, how we need to feed them different or, you know, kind of was able to look at stuff that way. And I think that certainly helped out the judging aspect of things. Now uh, uh, I'm wrong. I, I thought you were just, you guys were just cattle. I didn't know you raised hogs and sheep. So we don't raise any, we just no, kind well, of, you, buy just, them you showed them. Yep. Yep. And, uh, Oh yeah, we showed pretty much everything. I showed chickens at the county fair every oh. uh, every once in a while. Uh, showed a couple goats. Just whenever we'd get to something that we wanted to try, we'd just try feeding one for a summer. And I think that's a great way to go about it. Uh, it it certainly taught us a lot. I wish I would have been a little bit more adventurous in uh, right. in the animals that I in the species that I showed. I mean, cattle were pretty expensive, so. That was, uh, I always wanted to show a heifer, but it was way just too expensive to just do it because I wanted to try it. Right. I, it's, other cattle, species would have been easier. Right. Cattle were one of those things that like the upfront cost always just seemed to scare people away. But it was one of those things that, you know, I absolutely loved. And I think there's still a lot of people, but I think that as long as you show in anything, you know, you're, you're probably getting a pretty good experience out of the ordeal. Oh, 100%. And I'm not trying to, uh, uh, downplay the cattle the show cattle industry i mean it's it's tough to get in but it's worth it to get in is from what i've heard right for sure um it, it was just a little bit too too rich for my blood <laughs> at the time 
Now, yeah. uh, so so you started livestock judging right around the same time you got really into showing cattle. Um, but you liked it enough to to want to pursue it in college. Yeah, so uh, it was one of those things that like I, I liked it enough. And at the same time, I was a district FFA officer and I was kind of trying to make a decision whether I wanted to run for uh, state FFA office or uh, and just at that point in time, I started uh, getting a couple of phone calls and stuff to go to, I guess, junior college. Uh, my brother went to Black Hockey, so I got a call from uh, at that point in time. Jared Boyer was the uh, judging coach there. Uh, got a call from him and uh, got a call from uh, Brandon Callis about going to Redlands and uh, got a call from then uh, Ryan Page to go to uh, uh Fort Scott. Fort Scott. It was one of those deals. <laughs> Did you that, forget your own school? <laughs> well, it was, I was like trying to just go through it all, go through them all. And, okay. Uh, but at the same time, I was trying to decide if I even wanted to do it, you know, if, or if I wanted to go to be a state FFA officer. And, uh, finally, you know, kind of the deadlines came down and I, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but I'm absolutely terrible at making decisions. Uh, so I procrastinated on it for long enough to the point of, uh, I had graduated high school and still hadn't decided where I was going to school. And it wasn't until I think like June that I finally called uh, Paige and told him that I was going to Fort Scott. And at that point in time, uh, I know my roommate, uh, Chase Gleason, uh, kept asking uh, Coach, uh, he's like, is this kid coming? You know, Chase had a house rented out. It was a two-bedroom deal. And, uh you know, Paige just kept telling him, yeah, yeah, I think he's coming. You know, I think he's coming. <laughs> so it was like June and Chase still hadn't heard nothing from me, you know. And, I mean, we're supposed to move in, you know, beginning of August. He's kind of like, oh, gosh, like this kid ain't coming. So I finally decided to end up going there. So, I mean, it, and looking back on it, it's still one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Yeah, tell, tell us about Fort Scott because, like you said earlier, both of us came from kind of smaller junior colleges. Um, and Fort Scott is, was one of those smaller junior colleges. Right. Right. Um, kind of a smaller community. What, what did you think of it? I, I absolutely love Fort Scott. It was one of those deals that, uh, the town itself wasn't just overly nice. Uh, and I remember when we went and visited, my mom went with me and just like, you can't go to school here. You know, like, <laughs> it was like, this town's a dump, <laughs> like, yeah. but it was one of those, uh, towns where it, it felt just like the it was a close knit community. Uh, obviously, all the teachers kind of you know lived right there in town. Uh, it was kind of really focused on the the community college itself. Uh, so it was one of those uh, things when I actually got to sit down and meet with Ryan. I kind of knew that that was where I wanted to be. He was just such a good guy. Uh, kind of made me feel you know almost like at home and. Uh, it certainly was an experience. I I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about it. I, obviously, you listen to Kyle's episode. I've I've had Kyle on, and he talks. I mean, he'll just keep going on and on about how right. much he loves Fort Scott, and it seems like anybody that goes there has just an incredible time, and it it seems just like a really really good atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it it was so awesome, you know. Uh, being at a school that supported what we did, judging so much, um, you know, the, the dean of the college was a big supporter and a big proponent of uh, livestock judging. Uh, 
so that was kind of cool that there was such an agricultural focus, you know, whether it was uh, the meats judging team there at Fort Scott was pretty good. The rodeo team was good. Uh, they really pushed, you know, not necessarily just for, you know, the athletics of playing football and stuff like that, where they had like uh, the judging teams and the, the rodeo team that they really, you know, wanted to excel as well because they knew just getting their name out there anywhere would be beneficial. Uh, so that was always good. And then, you know, obviously the teachers always supported us very uh, good throughout the entire thing and we're always willing to work with us when we miss you know weeks at a time uh, so that was always good yeah I wish uh, I wish I went to a junior college with a football team you know I I don't know if it was one of those uh, deals that a lot of people miss because like I I went to Fort Scott for two years and never went to a single football game so <laughs> <laughs> but you guys were friends with the football players weren't you yeah yeah I mean you know it it's just like any JUCO, you know, the classes are so small, you know, basically everybody that's there. Uh, I didn't live in the dorm starting out, but uh, Kyle, Zane, Callahan, uh, Tyler Hamilton, uh, all those guys lived in the dorms, you know, their first year. Uh, so we'd spend a lot of times over at the dorms and me and Chase would go over there. And, uh, we got to know a lot of those guys just kind of through them, you know, living right there on campus. So, yeah. I love the atmosphere of junior college, dude. Oh, yeah, I it's it. absolutely wild. I always said that, like, I wanted to go back. I don't know if they <laughs> let you go back and do junior college twice, but I think it would have been cool. I think that's what everybody says when I have them on here and I ask them <laughs> about junior college. They're just like, take me back. Oh, yeah, man. I'm ready it, to go. It was crazy. It was I said crazy. we make an adult junior college. What do you say? I, I think be, I think there's some definite, definite ground you can make there. Okay, sweet. We'll work on it after this phone yeah. call. We don't want to give away our ideas, but after this phone call, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll scheme something up. I yeah, think exactly. We can, we'd get a crowd of people. <laughs> I think you're right, dude. If we could just start like a a junior college for past livestock judges, and we don't take any classes, but we all live in dorms with community bathrooms, and we drink too much beer. Right. I think I think it'd be a pretty easy sell on most people. I'm in. I'm sold already. Bring your kids. We'll have a playground. We've got daycare. We'll make um, it a nice little establishment. Just a nice little community. I, this might be a good vacation spot. We could probably do this for a vacation. <laughs> sell it out kind of like condos. Yeah. It's a timeshare for past right, livestock judges. <laughs> oh, oh my be- gosh. That'd be awesome. That would be wild. We came up with a good idea there. I think so. All right. So I want to talk about your team at Fort Scott because um, I, I think I've met most of you guys. Um, I think. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you guys all – your whole team was just so humble, so gracious, and you guys came out of nowhere. Yeah, when, for when sure. Because we, we judge the same year. We judge against each right. other. Yep. And uh, you guys just – in the fall, you guys were good. In the spring, you guys were great. But your freshman year, you guys were kind of off the map. And unless we were in like Kansas, you guys killed it. But right. everywhere else, you guys were off the map. And then sophomore year, you guys came in and just kicked butt. Yeah, uh, it was one of those deals that we had to kind of owe, I guess, everything mainly to to Paige. He just did such an awesome job on getting us all prepared. Well, we were all pretty much cattle kids, you know. Uh, some of us had a little bit of experience, you know, with pigs and stuff. Uh, you know, Callahan and, and Chase and Tori. Uh, but other than that, you know, we were basically all just cattle kids. And uh, So 
coach was able to get us all to focus a little bit more and teach his sheep and uh, kind of how to judge through some of those other species. And he always joked around with us saying, you know, he's like, one of these days I'm going to make you all sheep and goat kids. And ironically, we'd win sheep and goats more often than we'd win cattle. There you go. He did his job. I, I'd say so. <laughs> it was just ironic that we were all cattle kids and we'd all claim that we were, uh, you know, not sheep and goat experts by any sense of the word. And then, you know, we'd have uh, kids just out of nowhere win sheep and goats. Uh, I, like Zane won sheep and goats uh, in Dallas one year and uh, just kept saying, telling coach, he's like, nope, I'm a cattle kid. You know, you'll never get me to, to figure this stuff out. And then he ends up winning sheep and goats and, I just remember his face afterwards and Paige just starts making fun of him. You know, that he's a sheep guy instead of a cattle guy. <laughs> That's awesome though. When you can find a species that isn't your species that you kind of just click. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it still holds true. I, I mean, I still love to look at sheep and goats. I, I mean, whatever he did, I don't know if he made me drink some Kool-Aid or something like that, but I mean, now I still love looking at sheep and goats. I agree with you. For me, it was uh, the people that I surrounded myself, like all my friends at junior, right. junior college. They were a lot of sheep. And, like one of my best friends, Tyler Pickenpaw, he was a, he's a big sheep guy. And right. I mean, he got me hooked on them. He got me hooked on sheep. And I was like, and I hated sheep and goats before <laughs> I went to junior college. And I'm still not sold on goats. I like does, but I'm not sold on the whole goat deal. But sheep... I like goats. I like goats. I think they're like mini fat steers. You know, I I think they're so cool. (laughs) They kind of are. They're okay. I just think they're dumb. I hate their personalities. Can I say (laughs) that? I I would agree with that. (laughs) They are dumb. No, but um, that uh, your guys' team, it was great. And that, that year was hard. I mean, we were going against Butler every single time that Butler Butler was on a rampage. Uh, They were all really good. But um, you guys were pretty successful. You end up getting recruited to go to a couple senior colleges. I know Iowa State was in there. Yep, I know sure. Texas Tech was in there. I, ironically, yeah. Yeah, who else? <laughs> who else was in there? Uh, Kansas State. Uh, looked at them. Looked at University of Arkansas. Um, just kind of, you know, and I, I still wasn't even sold that I wanted to uh, judge livestock in a senior college and, uh, go that aspect or that route through it. And, uh, that was a, kind of that time, you know, none of us really wanted to look at it, uh, in terms of like, you know, going somewhere. Cause you know, everybody kind of had where they wanted to go. And we all kind of knew that, you know, I guess the band was g- going to break up, you know, at some point in time, but, uh, so a good way to put it. I like that. Right. You <laughs> the know. band's going to break up. The team's yeah, going to disperse. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, basically, you know, all of a sudden there, there went ragweed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> turnpike now. Right. right. Turnpike. I mean, just bad deal. Uh, so yeah, you know, we kind of looked at different schools and we had a lot of, I guess, interest, you know, kind of came out of nowhere all of a sudden when, you know, after a couple of them contests and stuff, all of a sudden then people would, you know, come start talking to us. But like uh, before any of the contests, sophomore year, heck, none of us had heard from a, you know, senior college. Nobody tried, got, you know, getting recruited or nothing like that. Uh, but afterwards, you know, it was basically they'd come and talk to the whole team. And uh, we had a lot of different uh, coaches, I guess, for a senior college come through and uh, try talking to us. And 
it was always kind of funny just because, you know, we'd all just kind of, ah, whatever, that's that's forever away. You know, we don't have to think about that. And, of yeah. course, you know, in normal fashion of me making a decision, I waited until about June. <laughs> <laughs> me too, dude. Me too. So, uh, yeah, finally I decided to end up going to Texas Tech and, you know, certainly glad I did. I mean, that's how I got to met you. So yeah. it worked out good, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think uh... – Dude, I don't, I, I don't even regret, regret going to Texas Tech for that semester. I, I have no regret about that just because I met so many, so many awesome people. I mean, our whole team right. is just incredible, incredible people. Oh I yeah, got, sure. I got to meet John DeClerc. I mean, uh, Rathman. Like that's a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to just sit in a classroom with him and Absolutely. have him talk about fat cattle and grazing fat cattle for like two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I don't even like cattle that much, but I, I would just, I was just like, yep, he's talking. Let's listen. That was one thing I absolutely loved about tech was the professors there were so good. Yes. I mean, so good. Uh, the first semester I was there, I took a, uh, advanced nutrition class, uh, with Dr. Bradley Johnson and I'd just go to class every day. And I mean, I was terrible at going to class, but I'd go to his all the time because it was just so interesting to me. Uh, I mean, he would relay such intricate knowledge and he'd put it in a way that everybody could understand in the room. And I mean, he was just so such a good professor that I'd walked out of there, you know, with more knowledge, probably just every class period and just sat there and like, I can't wait to go back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is one thing that tech had just incredible resources with was just the professors and the faculty that they had. It, yeah, it was very impressive in Kasner and the College of Agriculture and Natural right. Resources. Um, but you liked it. I mean, you, you like Lubbock. You stayed there. You, uh, you, you did stay at tech, right? Yeah. I ended okay. up staying at tech. <laughs> I, yep. just, I wanted to make sure. <laughs> yep. Did you end up, uh, continuing to judge all the way through? So I judged for one semester yeah. and then at that point in time, I was just burnt out. And uh, like I said, you know, I wasn't full bought into judging when I had first gone to school and uh, it was kind of one of those deals. I'm, I made it up to myself of like, okay, I'm going to judge, but I'm not going to let it hinder my grades or anything like that. And I kind of got to a point where I was working a lot and uh, I wanted to keep working and I was going to a show basically all the time. And uh, judging was kind of, you know, it was either one or the other, you know, and I, at that point in time, I went on summer vacation. I stuck judging out through Houston and went on summer vacation. And then just afterwards I decided I was done with it and I was going to, you know, go into more show cattle and uh, focus more on working and stuff like that. And uh, so I kind of turned the page and said, okay, let's focus on the next aspect of my life. That had to be a tough decision, especially going into fall when, I mean, you have those major contests. Right. And that's what everybody told me, kept, you know, kind of was like, Ben, why would you, you know, stop now? There's basically only four or five contests left that we got to go to. You know, you stuck it out through all the hard stuff. Why would you, you know, not finish it out? I'm like, uh, you know, judging just wasn't for me. I just didn't love it as much as I once did, you know, in junior college. And, you know, just kind of got, I guess, past the, the high of doing it and the love of doing it. And uh, so at that point in time, I kind of just decided I, if I didn't love it, I wasn't going to focus all my efforts into it because I knew my heart wouldn't be in there and that wouldn't be fair uh, to my teammates or my coach. So it was kind of, you know, get past it. I, uh, yeah, I mean, any, you can look at it any different, like many, many different ways. Um, but I think you made the right decision, dude. I mean, you got to do what's right for you. Right. Absolutely. And that, that's, I think the biggest thing you got to decide what, you know, 
the way you want to go, and that was just the path I wanted to follow. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be like, I, I took a lot of shit for leaving Texas Tech after one semester. I took a oh, lot yeah. of shit for it. I bet. Um, but it wasn't, that place wasn't right for me. And if I've had a lot of friends go there, and I will never, I will never, ever talk bad about Texas Tech to anybody. I, I don't want to right. sway anybody from not going there. Right. But I do tell them my perspective. I'm like, it just wasn't for me. And I'll try to explain why it wasn't, but it's hard. <laughs> right. And I bet and that was that's how it was for you with judging too. Yeah, I think you can't, you know, hold anybody's against anybody, you know, for doing something like that. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. I mean, you just there's nothing you can hold against it. I agree with you. Now, you leave Tech, leave Lubbock, Texas, finally. Yep. Yep. Graduated. Um, now, this job that you have now. With Lynn's Heritage Angus, that, that's the job you have now, right? Yep, yep. Did you get that right out of college? Uh, so actually, right when I was done with college, I moved to McPherson, Kansas, and I worked in a show barn uh, for Nickel Brothers Showstock. And so when I had quit judging, I started selling a lot more cattle, and I sold a bunch of cattle with my uh, good friend Zane Ward, uh, sold a lot of cattle with him, uh, and predominantly sold a lot to the nickel family uh there in kansas and uh so that summer i was like okay well you know i hadn't really figured out what i wanted to do for a job and uh, i talked to the nickels and they were they had a lot of aspirations to go into a lot of junior nationals and that summer i think we ended up going to five different junior nationals wow um so i was on the road a lot and uh so i basically just managed their show string and uh, it was at one of the final junior nationals we went to, uh, Angus junior nationals up in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I had ran across an old friend of mine. Uh, he worked for, uh, Biozyme and, uh, Vitafirm. And, uh, he had met these guys and was selling them a lot of mineral and stuff like that. They concept aid. And, uh, he was talking to, uh, the kind of, uh, genetics, uh, coordinator here at lenses and, uh, they were looking for help and he came then to me and started talking to me and asked what I was doing. I told him I was like uh, working in this show barn, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And uh, he's like, well, you need to meet these people. So I, I talked to Glenn for a couple of hours uh, that day. And uh, after that, I sent my resume off and uh, uh, talked at that point in time. Uh, Fred gave me a call, invited me up. I came up here uh, to Calumet City, Illinois. Uh, met him up there at their meat plant, uh, meat processing facility that they have, and uh, did a full-out interview, and uh, then came to the farm here in Crown Point and got a tour of everything and uh, got to see around and uh, went back to Kansas, decided that I was going to take the job and was up here, you know, put in my two weeks and came up uh, about seven days before uh, the female sale that was uh, up here at Lenses every uh, fall. We have a female sale. Uh, in the fall and a bull sale in the spring. So came up here just before that female sale and got it, got to work. So basically was thrown right into the fire. So for those people that, that aren't are listening and don't know what lenses is, um, or the hair today, hair to Jangus, why don't you explain, uh, the operation that you work for? Yep. So lens hair to Jangus is a production Angus, uh, orientation. So we focus on, uh, raising cattle, uh, primarily for their number set. Uh, we focus on raising a lot of parent stocks. So it, I kind of always relate it back to the hog industry. 
so what we do is we're essentially the nucleus herd of what we try and create. Uh, so we raise a lot of parent stock. We raise a lot of bulls, a lot of females that go out uh, nationwide to different producers. Uh, we put into their program uh, and then we'll purchase back steers uh, and heifers through a fed out program uh, called the LHA uh, feeders. We feed these calves out, we harvest those calves, and then we send them to our plant up in Calumet City, Illinois, uh, where they slice up the center third. And then we ship that uh, those steaks, those short ribs, kind of whatever we have processed, made to order uh, to different steakhouses across the U.S. and actually across the world. Uh, so it's kind of a full circle, full service uh, conception to plate. Uh, type deal that we've been putting on yeah talk about uh, anybody ever heard of vertical integration <laughs> yeah that's what they're doing <laughs> right and right it's a great business plan dude i mean so let's just walk this out really quick because i'm gonna see if yep. i understand it yep so you're selling bulls and, and females to producers all around the country correct you're buying steers yep back from those producers Yep, out of our genetics. Out of the, your genetics, putting them in a feed yard. Yep. Raising them out and then sending yep. them to be harvested. And then you send those cuts of meat and everything to restaurants all around the country. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> I just I know you just said that exact same thing, but I needed to walk myself through it so that so that yep. I knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of a cool process. So uh, Fred Lins, the, the owner of the company – uh, has a meat plant up in Calumet City, and he's third generation. Uh, started as a little butcher shop in Calumet City, and you know they just slowly started expanding and expanding. And uh, when Fred really got to take over the company, uh, him and a small group of salesmen decided that they needed to take it to the next level, and decided to start marketing, you know, individually to all these white tablecloth restaurants, you know. Uh, so they have a lot of partners in downtown Chicago, some famous uh, steakhouses, uh, some in Indianapolis, Minneapolis. I mean, they, they ship steaks all over, uh, all over the country, and we do some cruise lines and some resorts. And uh, so then they got the bright idea that they wanted to break into the live side and start having their own product because they were really sick of how much variation they'd get within the meat. Yeah, uh, when they buy, you know, just in terms of ribeye size, you know, in terms of, you know, how much uh, cutaneous fat there is, just all this stuff wasn't right to them. So uh, they decided that they were going to get to the live side kind of as a inventory control uh, where they could kind of control basically their, their inputs and say, okay, well, we're going to moderate all of our ribeye sizes to a certain size. You know, and we want a certain amount of back fat. We want a certain amount of IMF. And we're just going to focus on making that a consistent product. That way, when people go to our restaurants, you know, that we partner with, they're getting the same type of product over and over again and not having a variation uh, in terms of their eating experience. Uh, so they broke into the live side about five years ago and have been going strong ever since. Now, okay, so you're you're obviously producing livestock um, that you want to sell that, that can make like high quality animals for the rail and for like just right. steaks. Yes. But sir. You also have to be watching out for, I mean uh, like maternal aspects. 
there we uh, go. all of that other stuff that you have to figure out. Yep. So, um, I mean, I'm, yeah, just explain to me how you balance that. And I know I'm not saying this in a very eloquent, eloquent way, but <laughs> how do you balance those two aspects? Because, I mean, they have to be very different. It's, it's very tough in terms of balancing phenotype and genotype. Uh, so all of our offspring, when they're born, uh, they're fi all 50K. Everything's 50K the day it's born. We send it off to get tested. Uh, we go from that. We kind of at that explain, point in time. Ben, explain what 50K is real quick. Okay, so like uh, what we'll do is we'll take a tissue sample from these uh, newborn calves. Uh, we'll send it off. We'll plug in the parentage and everything into uh, the computer. Send it down to the AGI uh, there in St. Joseph, Missouri. And when they 50K, they identify certain markers uh, in terms of certain traits that they can track and the traceability of those. So uh, certain traits that be like marbling, ribeye area, cut weight, yearling weight, weaning weight, CD, birth weight, uh, things of that nature, you know, that they can kind of trace in their traceability on it uh, where they've identified certain genetic markers, uh, so to speak. So when a calf tests really good in these markers, it means uh, maybe that they're going to have a crazy good uh, marbling figure or they're going to grow extremely fast or they're going to be extremely calving ease. Um, so different things of that nature. So you kind of, you'll get all this test back and it enhances their EPDs. Uh, so their genomic profile, we can then trace that and kind of focus more on uh, the way we're breeding those aspects. Uh, but with that being said, we also like to have, uh, you know, cattle that look good, that look appeasing, uh, because we're still raising these at the very high end, uh, you know, in terms of parent stocks. So we sell a lot of donors nationwide and uh, a lot of females to different uh, operations. And there's no one size fits all, one mode, mold fits all. Uh, so we have a lot of different, you know, variations in sizes, thickness, you know. Uh, but we always try focusing on, you know, the things that never go out of style, like structure, utter quality, uh, fleshability, uh, different things of that, you know, just that creates a productive, you know, female. Now, um, when you are... Do you guys just do like the middle meats or do you do you send off like the the shoulder and, and the quarter as well? What do you do with those? Yeah, so we focus on the middle meats. That's kind of our, our bread and butter, I guess, is selling steaks. Uh, but we do a lot of uh, grinding and stuff like that for hamburger. Uh, we'll sell uh, different blends of patty uh, to different restaurants as well. Uh, there's some that we'll do down in the Bahamas that, uh, you know, each order might be 40,000 pounds of burger. Oh, wow. uh, it, it just depends on, you know, the, each restaurant in terms of what they want. Uh, and so we'll kind of put together different blends for them. Uh, some blends, you know, include brisket, some blends include chuck, some blends include, you know, gr grinding up a whole ribeye. Uh, it just all depends on what that, uh, uh, restaurant wants their burger to be. Yeah. Now what's stopping, uh, Lynn's heritage, heritage Angus from, keeping their bulls, keeping their females and just raising them themselves and not outsourcing, uh, the whole, well, the whole first part of it. Uh, just in terms of keeping all of it, one is land. We don't have near enough of it to run that many. And I figured uh, that was one of the, <laughs> one of the pieces. Yeah, land's kind of an issue when, you know, you're in Northwest Indiana, 
about an hour from downtown Chicago, there's not just an abundance of pasture ground. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, one of the first obstacles. Obviously, then uh, is inventory uh, through the plant. They, they need about 3,500 head of steers uh, per week uh, to make the plant be able to f uh, operate. Uh, so, you know, we have to have a lot, a lot of cows to be able to uh, make that plant continue to go. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I was just wondering, I mean, that's the only part of your vertical vertical integration that uh, <clears throat> you kind of have to outsource. But it makes right. sense, sense with land and you don't have right. a bunch of, if you don't have a bunch of females on hand, you can't really right. produce that many steers. Right. You'd have, I mean, we'd have to have about 200,000 cows, you know, to produce enough for that uh, plant essentially to run every year. So uh, just one of those crap. things that doesn't work out to the best of our ability. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> 200,000 cows to run that plant a, a yeah. year? Yeah, it would, it would not be good. That's a lot. Now, what's your, um, I mean, what's your title there? So, what, are, what are you doing? Yeah, my, tar my title is the farm manager. So I basically oversee everything uh, in terms of our cattle production uh, from the live side. So my focus is basically the breeding uh, any flushing that will do, I get all the cattle ready for the sales, feeding, uh, basically every aspect to calving, the, anytime we'll have to, you know, process groups of fat cattle or anything like that, you know, I still am, uh, incorporated into all that. So I essentially oversee everything while the cattle are alive. And then after they're harvested, they go to the plant and that's where Fred and those guys up there get to uh, work their magic. It has to be pretty cool to be that close to both sides of the industry. Oh, absolutely. It's really cool to be able to, to you know, go up and actually take tours of the plants. And uh, we get a lot of people in through here that we're able to show through the, the live side of it. And, uh, it's always kind of unique to be able to sit down and, you know, pick Fred's brain about what's going to happen in the cattle market because, you know, they are always forecasting forward to see, you know, kind of, you know, the, the lows and highs and where stuff's going to hit. And if there's shortages on meat, you know, how that's going to affect uh, different aspects of the live side in terms of fat cattle prices. Uh, so it's always cool to pick those guys' brains on, you know, what they think is going to happen in the future. Yeah, that would be cool to just kind of sit down with them and talk about the cattle market. Just, yeah, it seems like uh, no one really knows how that sucker works. No, for sure not. <laughs> if we had that figured out, I think we'd all be rich men. I think you'd be good, dude. I think I think <laughs> you especially would be sitting pretty. Right. It'd be awesome. Now, uh, I'm sure I mean you're you're involved in the industry um on both sides. What what are some new things that you see that are that are coming out of the cattle industry that are pretty cool? Maybe not uh, new things, but things that you've noticed that are that are really kind of revolutionary. I mean, honestly, I think this whole genomics thing, the 50K and, the you know, being able to test these animals and see exactly how they're going to produce is going to be absolutely huge for the cattle industry uh, as a whole. I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of new technology coming out. You know, uh, we're getting better at IVF and flushing and everything like that. Uh, but I certainly think that the, the world of genomics is going to play such a huge part going into the future, uh, especially... Uh, when you look at, you know, world populations and everything like that, you know, how we got to become more efficient in terms of the way we're raising these cattle. I think genomics is going to play a huge part into that. And I, I certainly think that 
with that being said, as long as we don't uh, shoot ourselves in the foot and do something crazy and focus too hard on individual traits and kind of lose all productivity, I think that, you know, we're going to be in the future so much further advanced than we are even of now and uh, what we can see. Is that something that you're worried about? Because that has happened in the future where the industry kind of sticks to one uh, one phenotype trait or one genetic trait. Is that something that you're scared of or do you think we're kind of out of that phase? I certainly think it's it's something to fear for, uh, especially in you, know, you look at the cattle. If we all would solely focus on marbling and that's the only thing we're going to focus on, uh, you lose too much productivity in terms of weight gain and performance. Uh, you just really limit yourself there. If you focus on, you know, making ribeye sizes too big, then you really limit, you know, your IMF content and, you know, your uh, doability that way. So I, I think as long as we don't focus too much in terms of genotype and say, okay, well, we're solely only going to select for marbling or we're only going to select for ribeye size uh, and just basically trash everything else and not worry about foot quality or, you know, making good moms, you know, bulls with, you know, adequate scrotal size, uh, just simple things of that, you know, keep farms in business. Uh, if we don't focus on that, I think we're going to get ourselves into a world of hurt. I think you're right. I think you're a hundred percent right. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> now, um, you've listened to a couple episodes, so you know how I like to end them. I like to just ask, uh, my guests to give a little piece of, uh, inspiration, if you will. Uh, to the young people listening or the older people listening, if you need some in inspiration, here's your here's your chance for Mr. Ben Weiss. <laughs> ben, I know you've got something tucked in there. I know you've got some inspirational quotes. Something's something's in your brain right now that's about to come spewing out. I know it. Yeah, I I mean something like that. I guess. Uh, I think it goes back to what we talked about before. You know, I think if your whole heart's not into it, uh, don't try. Uh, overselling yourself you know put your whole heart into everything you do and you'll be successful at it whether it's livestock judging whether it's showing whether it's work whether it's uh you know bettering yourself as an individual put everything you got into it and you'll certainly be successful at it and that's i mean that's an incredible way to end it dude i actually have one more question yep. you're you're raising predominantly angus cows right now huh yes sir now is, is angus your favorite now are you done with the chars or what? I mean, I mean, I think I'd have to say that Angus are my favorite. I mean, they, they do taste pretty good when we're, you know, fortunate enough to have steak, which is fairly often. They sure do. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, dude, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit down and talk with me. And we're going to have to – we need to not talk for, like, so long. We need to talk more. Right. Absolutely, dude. You and make sure that next time I'm on the road, I'm going to give you a call. Please do. <laughs> All right, Ben. I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. Have a good day, man. Perfect. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye. All right, bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. I'm gonna tell you one thing, guys. I am a little jealous of the job that Ben Weiss has, and I'm not even interested in working in the cattle industry in the future. But that just seems like a really cool deal to work in. That vertical integration. I mean, that has to just be cool to learn from the leaders of that company and what they were going through when they develop their whole plan of growth i mean it had to be pretty pretty astounding i hope you guys like ben i sure do uh i'm gonna have to keep in touch with him more as as we said on the podcast we haven't really kept in touch but you're dang right we are going to keep in touch now
Okay, that's a promise on the podcast. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Come back next week for more. As always, quick shout out from Next Level Livestock Camps. Go to them. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to get Jeff to give me a promo code um, for all my listeners. Because, right, I mean, if you guys listen, you guys are loyal listeners, you guys have to listen to this ad, we should get you a promo code to get some discounts on the camps. So uh, I'm going to try to get you one of them. All right. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.